0: Jesus says this, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Ooh boy. So Jesus right away gets into this idea. And here, here's what's important to remember. And sometimes this is, I, I want to get into interpretation of the Bible today a little bit. And I know it, it'll feel a little bit like a seminary class and I apologize. Sometimes I feel like we have to go in that direction Um, But I feel like there's important things for us to understand when we're interpreting scripture and one of them is this Scripture for the people in jesus's time the people that are having dinner parties with jesus at their time This is not just a bunch of virtuous ideas that are being thrown out them What jesus is talking about is not just a moral code for them This stuff the ten commandments is civil law does this make sense, right? So it's not, we're not talking, these are like laws that are applied by police officers, right? They're enforced. These things are enforced by the government, by the people around. So there is Jewish law that is, that is enforced by the people around them. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the writers of the law, all of them are trying to figure out not just how do we live virtuously and how do we live morally, which is how we read scripture, but they're also talking about how do we apply this in the civil life of, that we're living, Like, how do we enforce these laws? What happens when this happens? And so, when you read through the Old Testament, like Leviticus is just nonsense, right? It's just case law. The whole thing is just all of this. What happens when somebody does this? What happens when somebody does this? What happens when somebody. So, some of the Bible clearly reads as case law and not just moral law, but we misread the Bible. This is the greatest. So, the greatest problem with interpretation of the Bible is that we don't, we get the genre wrong. And so we don't understand what the genre is that we're reading. And so what we do is we take a proverb and we believe that it's a promise. Now, a proverb is about wisdom. This is the wise way to live. It's not a promise. So I can't tell you how many parents I sit down with who are like, I trained up my child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it, but they departed from it. Did God not make the right promise? That's not a promise, it's a proverb. This is the wise way to live. You train up a child in a specific way, and, 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 and that's the wise way to do it, because in the most part, this is what's going to happen. It's not a promise where Jesus is saying, or God is saying, this is always going to happen. But we misread. We, 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 think, uh, we think case law is commands. And so we, lead, we read these scenarios where there's certain circumstances where people are talking about like, how do we interpret these kinds of things? I'm going to read one in just a moment. But then we apply them as commands when they're not actually commands. We take prophecy and we read it as prescription. We, we take all of these things and, and we, we don't know how to interpret the Bible. So I want to be just honest with you guys. And this is something that all of us should know, but for some reason, many of us don't. Interpreting the Bible is really hard. It's really hard. People who tell you it's easy are lying. Or they're dumb. <laughs> One of the two, right? And sometimes I'm not sure which is true. Uh, here, here's the reality what we're trying to interpret is we're trying to interpret a document that was lived a long, long time ago, that was in another part of the world, that was given to us in another language, and was given in a different culture with different values all of those things make reading and interpreting scripture really really hard. So let's so so what happens sometimes in scripture is scripture gets involved in case law. Right? It's this it's if you if you talk with a lawyer they'll talk to you about like there's law and there's case law. Like a case law is like this is how the law is applied. The law is here. It doesn't change. It doesn't it doesn't move, it, it, it's, this is the law, this is the rules, but how you apply it in certain circumstances. So that's why when lawyers will stand up in front of a, a jury, will often point to another case, right? Back in case 452 in Cobb County in the, 1973, like there's that kind of stuff where people are just walking through different, this is how the law was applied back then, so maybe this is how we need to apply the law now, right? Does this all make sense? I know it's, this is going somewhere, I promise. So Exodus chapter 21. This is in our Bible. It's in our Bible. It Says this, men when men strive together to hit a pregnant woman. Is this a real is this an ongoing problem? Like there's just gangs of men who are like, "Hey, you know what we should do? Let's hit some pregnant women." This is in our Bible, guys. When men strive together to hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall oppose it on him and he shall pay as the judges determine. (laughs) Like this just feels like a crazy scenario, right? There is literally a passage in the Bible, I promise you, and uh, I apologize for even saying this, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about how one guy masturbated on a bridge, Like, this is in our Bible. Like, this is, here's the reality of it. One crazy person made us have to read this forever. That's what happened. Like, one lunatic made us have to, like, I don't, when you were in kindergarten and, like, the teachers were applying a rule, but the rule was just for one kid, right? You know that, there's only one kid eating the glue, right? It's Tommy over there. Right? We don't need to make a rule for all of us. Tom, Just talk to Tommy. Right? This is what's going on here. There is this crazy thing. But here's what it says. This is why this is important. It says, but if there is harm, then you shall repay life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot, burn for a burn, wound for a wound, stripe for a stripe. What this is called is lex talianus in the Latin. It's retributive justice. It's the law of retaliation is what that means. And it's principles of retributive justice that are expressed in this phrase, an eye for an eye. This is the basis of how the law, civil law, is formed in all cultures. It's still applied in every, uh, in, in, in every civil law that we can think of now. In some way, you can point back to lex talionis, the law of retaliation, and what it is is this. We let the punishment fit the crime. Right, so it works in our legal system this way. Nobody suggests capital punishment for shoplifting. But if you murder, then capital punishment gets put on the table. Right, it's, it's this kind of retributive system. Um, and 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 here's the problem with this. It's, it's, there's there's all kinds of problems. But the scribes and Pharisees are reading this, and here's what the scribes and Pharisees are doing. The scribes and Pharisees get a terrible rap in the Bible. Uh, can, I, I know we don't all agree on this, but they really do. The, if, if you look, they're, they're trying to figure out how do we apply the law and how are we holy, and they have a fervor and a, an excitement and a passion for that. Uh, the problem for them is sometimes they don't understand the difference between civil and, and, and relationships. And so what they're doing is they're taking a civil issue of the law, and they're trying to turn it into a moral issue to, repl- to, to respond in their own relationships. So, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that might work in our justice system. Interestingly enough, Jesus rarely spoke about the justice system. He rarely spoke about the systems. In fact, people said, What do you think about Caesar? What do you think about taxes? He kind of avoided the whole thing. But you know what Jesus always talked about? Personal relationships. You know what Jesus always talked about was our heart. And so what's happening here is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rulers of the law, are trying to take the law and apply it into our everyday relationships. So if a friend wrongs me in a relationship, they don't break the law. They just wrong me in some way. Somebody comes to my house and breaks something in my house. Then I get to go to their house and break something in their house. This is is the way people are applying this, and and it's all messed up. Martin Luther King said it this way, if we do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we'll be a blind and a toothless nation. So what was intended for the law and the courts where it belongs was extended into personal relationships where it doesn't. Does this make sense? Uh, I think this is important for us to understand this text and for us to get what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus, surprisingly, actually gets into case study himself. This is really a unique passage. He rarely gets into specifics. Jesus is kind of, right, Dave Gibbons when he was here, he kind of does the Bruce Lee thing, right? It's like water, right? He just kind of throws out stuff. He doesn't get real specific. But here in verse 39, it says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you to take your tunic, then let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse from the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is not critiquing the law. He's critiquing our relationships. This really matters in the way that we read this passage. This is about how we relate to one another. Uh, there's this moment where people come to Jesus and they come to him and they're like, hey, listen, uh, blood was shed in the temple and there was the blood of Gentiles were shed in the temple and what are we supposed to do about this? And then the Tower of Siloam, it fell and it fell on a bunch of people and they were good people. How do we deal with that? You know what Jesus says? He doesn't speak to the government these are cnn headlines of the day these are your fox news headlines of the day this is what happened blood shed in the temple breaking news right this is what's going on the tower falls right this is breaking news these kinds of things that everybody's bringing their breaking news to jesus you know what jesus says you repent it's like, that's not even what we're talking about, Jesus. I don't, like, I, I wasn't talking about me, Jesus. I was talking about the tower that fell. I wasn't talking about me. I was talking about blood was shed in the church. That's not supposed to happen, Jesus. And Jesus is like, unless you repent, you repent. Jesus takes these issues of civil and government and all these kinds of things, and he kind of avoids them, but he always points back to us and says, but you personally, this is how you live this out. He's cloudy, cloudy. On how we follow, but he's clear on our calling, and our calling is always to love, even when it's hard. Our personal relationships are built on love and not justice. This is what Jesus is saying. Our personal relationships with one another are built on love and not justice, and surprisingly, Amazingly, as Jesus always does, and just like Darrell described when he came up here for our ministry moment a minute ago, Jesus builds his relationship with us on our personal relationship and not the justice that we deserve. This is a big deal. Do not resist those who are evil. That's revolutionary, guys. That's revolutionary. This is, this is like, these passages right here are what the civil rights movement was birthed out of. All of this, this idea of nonviolent resistance, this idea of enemy love, this idea of turning the other cheek. If you look and you read and you study the civil rights movement, these passages had so much to do with it. Tolstoy wrote book after book after book out of this passage. Gandhi loved Tolstoy so much that so much of what was written on their nonviolent resistance was based out of what Tolstoy was saying, which Tolstoy was just basing it on Jesus. This passage has changed the world. It's radically changed the world and it's completely opposite to the way that our culture is operating right now. When somebody doesn't agree with us, we cancel them. When somebody does something they shouldn't, we write them off and we're done with them. When somebody hurts us, we hurt them back or we get away from them. And Jesus says, wait a minute, if they slap you on the cheek, Lex Talionis says you slap them on the cheek back. And Jesus says, we're not gonna apply civil law to relationships. When somebody takes your tunic, you take their tunic back. You take them to court, you sue them. Somebody sues you, you're gonna sue them back. Jesus says, no, we're not gonna get into that. The extra mile, this is what this passage means. Roman soldiers walking through Rome would carry their uh, shield and their armor, all the stuff that they had, their sword, their armor, all that. They would carry it through the city. And uh, a Roman law was that at any point a Roman could ask a Jew to carry their equipment for him. So being a Roman was the highest elevated status that there was in culture at that time. And so any Roman at any point could grab any Jew. You could be working at your job. You could be just like, I'm making sandwiches. I'm delivering these sandwiches. And the, a Roman soldier stops you and says, I need you to carry my armor for one mile. And the Jews hated this, right? It made them feel less than. It made them feel inferior. They hated this idea. And Jesus says, listen, no. If a Roman soldier asks you to go one mile, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go 2 Whew. Getting fun, huh? Give to the one who begs, give to, the, those, give to those who need to borrow. And in Lex Talionis, all we're doing in those moments is we're asking for repayment. You've got to repay all your debt. You've got to give back. Like, I'll give you this, but you've got to repay it. Here's the repayment plan, all of those things. And Jesus says, no, be more generous than that. And so the big debate is how serious should we take these case studies of Jesus? How serious do I, like, because everybody always jumps to the straw man arguments and all these things, right? Well, what if, right? These are the things we talk to Jesus when we go to heaven, right? When we have dinner with him. These are the things that we discuss and have conversations with. What if, what if? And here's the reality, guys. We get to co-discern that. We get to interpret this. Every faith community, in every time, in every culture, has had to interpret the word of God. And so here's my answer. Does Jesus mean that we turn the other cheek every time we get hit? Maybe. Some of you are like, I'm I'm finding another church tomorrow. The pastor doesn't know what he's doing. Right? We want everything to be certain. We want everything to be clear. Sometimes it's more complicated than that. And sometimes it's more tricky than that. I will say this. I do think it's important for us to pay attention to how Jesus responded when he was mocked and beaten. He didn't fight back. He didn't call on the powers of heaven. He allowed those things to happen. And so we get to figure out what holiness looks like. This is part of the journey. Like if, I, I really believe that the word of God, it could have been written a different way. It could have been just this book, this long book of case study, of here's how you apply everything, but there are gray areas. There's things that aren't all that clear. There's things that are confusing and hard and tricky and difficult. Uh, We know that we're commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We don't know how we're supposed to do that, though. There's not then a list of here's 50 ways I want you to apply this to your life. We get to figure that out. We get to walk through those things together. Spurgeon said we're to be an anvil to the evil of the world. Bonhoeffer said we are visual participants in the cross. We share in the suffering of Jesus. And we have to figure this out. So here's a great example. Uh, Our mercy and compassion ministry. Uh, We give away tens of thousands of dollars to people in our community who have needs. That's... As far as I can't pay the rent this month, I'm homeless, I need a place to stay, I, my, my lights aren't on, I... We don't have heat and it's cold. Uh, we, like, we need something. We Over and over again, our posture is to be generous and our posture is to serve and our posture is to love. But in the middle of that, I, let me say this. This is just a side off. This is not the sermon, so I'm just gonna say one thing. Right now, I just wanna be honest with you guys that this is the first time that I've been here as your pastor where we do not have sufficient dollars to give to Mercy Needs. And so our budget is so lacking and so far behind that we do not have the ability to give compassionately and generously like we would like to, and we're having to say no to people for the first time ever because we just don't have the money. Uh, so there's that. I told you I'd always be honest about the money without shame or guilt. So no shame or guilt in that, but that's the honest space of where we are. Here's the challenge in that. People take advantage of that. So there was a, there was a guy when I first came here. Um, I won't tell you his name. Uh, we actually probably don't know his name because it changed every time we met with him. Uh, so he figured out how we, get, we give out Kroger gift cards. That's kind of one of the starting points of how we kind of connect with people. And, and he figured out kind of the process. And so he showed up one day, and we will we, we'll give them out generously. Here's some money to go get groceries. If you need gas, this will get you gas, that kind of thing. It's a gift card. It can't be used for any other nonsensical things. And so here's this, and go do your thing. And, and we would have them write their name and just put a little check mark. So I met with this guy. About three weeks later, the same guy came in and apparently thought I was a complete idiot uh, and told me a different name. And I was like, well, hey, bud, you were here last time, and this was your name last time. Like, it's okay if you're coming back a second time, but just be honest with me. And then he came a third time and met with a different staff person and gave them a different name. And then he, he just kept, his name kept changing every time. It was like he was coming in with disguises and that kind of thing. <laughs> like, like, it was just a different story every time. And so listen, like, what do we do in those situations? Because Jesus says, give to those who beg. Like, do you at some point say, "Mm -mm, we're not going to give anymore? Or do you just keep giving generously? We've got to pray that stuff out we got to discern that stuff. we got to figure that stuff out as a community. We've got to try and deal with it on a relational level, which is how we try to deal with it. So I sat down with a guy and I was like, listen, man, every time you come in here, you give us a different name. Every time you come in here, you give us a different story. Tell us your story and we'll work with you. Like if you're honest and real and genuine about where you're at, I don't care what your background is or what's going on. We can't help you until you name reality. And so if you want to name reality and name where you are, then we can work on how to get you out of that space. But we can't do it if you keep coming in here telling us a different story every time. He never showed up again. Never showed up again. This is the challenge in all of these things. These are really hard things, but we get to co-discern these things and we get to figure out how do we work this out together as a community? Sometimes we have to say No. Sometimes we look at things and we're like, I I just don't know that we can do that. Here's what we can do. Here's how we can serve you. Here's how we can help you. And I'm so grateful for Melissa and Douglas and the, the team that has put in really good work and done studies with other churches of figuring out how we do mercy and compassion ministry with love, but also with generosity. How do we reach out beyond further than where we'd like to go, but also continue to set boundaries? Like all of those things are hard. But here's the thing that I think Jesus is saying, and this is what I want to say to us this morning. In all of these circumstances, because we could case study this to death, right? What if somebody breaks into my house and they're going to kill my children? What if somebody's beating me to death? What if, like, we could do what ifs all day long, but here's the thing. I think Jesus, over and over and over again, is challenging us to be more generous and loving than we want to. If this is the line of our generosity and our love and our kindness and our mercy and our compassion and our forgiveness, this is the line right here, Jesus is saying, I want you to go over here. I want you to go further. I want you to stretch further than you can. The only limit to to Christian generosity is the limit of our love. It's just the limit of our love. I remember when my kids were little, um, my boys used to fight all the time. Uh, and, and what it was is, is Cole, Cole was small, he's my oldest, and Cole's little, and Caden was big, but Caden was kind of passive, he still kind of is. So Cole would beat up on Caden, and Caden and would just kind of take it, but uh, at, at some point, Caden's pop would top, right? He would just be like, that's enough, and Caden would haul off on Cole, and Cole would always be the one that was crying, right? The youngest one would always end the fight, because he was bigger. Right? And so there was always this kind of back and forth fighting and it would end in punching and that kind of stuff. And then Cole started taking like karate and then it was all over because Cole was smaller, but he was also skilled at punching. Uh, and so, but all of this was going on as my kids were little. And I remember them, they got in this big fight and Caden just gave Cole a bloody nose. And those of you with little children, you understand. It's just, it's its a Monday, right? But like when your kids are older, it feels weird. But but on, it, was, it was just their five and seven years old, and they're punching each other, and that's, this is what, how I was working. I remember I grabbed Cole one day, and I just, I held his hand, and I, th- this is the word that came out of my mouth. I just said, buddy, your hands were made for love. Your hands were made to love. Like, your hands weren't made to cause violence. Like, everything in you was created so that you would love. And I said this, and, and I, I was like, oh, I might have just stumbled on something that would help as a parent. <laughs> And so I've like I've applied that over and over again as my kids were growing up of just saying this phrase, like, no, 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 that's not that's not what your hands were made for, it's not what you're created for. You you have to learn to stretch beyond what your natural impulse is. And if your natural impulse is to fight, the line of like right here says, No, be more loving. Figure this out. So Jesus' first response in these passages is negative. It's Do not resist those who are evil. But his second is different. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you love those who love you, then what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, then what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? And I'm following all of this passage, right? This lines up with what we've just read before. I'm like, all right, love your enemies. Yeah, I, it's really hard, but I get it. I understand it. The, um, do, don't just do things that everybody else would do. Stretch your love farther. I get it. It's really hard, but I get it. And then here's this last line. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Uh-oh. Are you with me? Like, I'm following everything until I get to that verse. And I could have preached four sermons on these texts today, right? Like, this is so hard, and we could get into specifics on all of these kinds of things. But here's what he's saying. First of all, he's saying, you need to trust me as the final judge and arbitrator. You are not the judge and jury of everybody else's life. You don't know everybody's story. You don't know their circumstances. You don't know what they're walking into. Somebody told me once that when you come across a nasty person, assume that they're having the worst day of their life. Assume that they're having the worst moment of their life and that you need to just love and be gracious. So when I read these passages, I'm there, I'm following right along until it gets to the be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect and then I'm like, oh no, I'm in trouble. Because I don't know about you guys, it's hard for me to stretch beyond that line. I don't like being taken advantage of. I, I'm, I actually really appreciate justice. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have like these moral things in my mind and I'm like, I don't even care what happens. This is just a moral issue for me. I'm gonna fight for this and I'm gonna battle for this because this is what I believe is right and true and good. And so, I, like, so there's things where I have a hard time stretching beyond that, that line. I hate to see people taken advantage of. I hate to see people hurt. Like, I've got a huge heart for the weak and the oppressed, the orphans and the widows. Like, those things really matter to me. And I want to fight for those things. I want to stand in the gap of those things. So be perfect as I'm perfect. I don't know that I can love as perfectly as our Heavenly Father can. Here's what one pastor said. He said, because God is perfect, those who are his children will move in the direction of his perfect standard. If you're stalled or if you're slipping in the opposite direction, it's right that you examine yourself. Pursuing the standard of perfection does not mean we can never fail. It means that when we fail, we deal with it. Those with true faith will fail, and in some cases will fail pathetically and frequently. But a genuine believer will, as a pattern of life, be confessing sin and coming to the Father for forgiveness. Perfection is the standard. That's the standard that God sets for us. Be perfect. Direction is the test. Perfection is the standard. Like, this is where we're trying to be. I want you to be perfect. Moving in that direction is where we need to be. Right? Dallas Willard said, we're always taking one step closer to the kingdom. That's my job every single day. My job is not perfection every single day. My job is I'm moving in the direction Of Jesus, I'm moving in the direction of generosity. I'm moving in the direction of mercy. I'm moving in the direction of compassion. I'm moving in the direction of grace. I'm moving in the direction that Jesus calls me to over and over and over again. And if your life does not reveal growth in grace and righteousness and holiness and love and forgiveness and generosity, then we actually have to examine our faith. Our imperfection never changes God's standard. He's still calling us to perfection. In baseball, there's a term called a perfect game. Perfect game is when the pitcher comes out and pitches, and there are no hits that are given up. There's no walks, and there's no errors, which is amazing. It doesn't happen very often, but it'll happen. Usually once every couple of years, somebody will throw a perfect game. It's remarkable. Everybody celebrates like that's, that's amazing. We think about it, in the perfect game, it's not perfect. Right? The pitcher threw balls. Every pitch wasn't a strike. Every pitch wasn't perfect. I am certain that even in certain circumstances, the pitcher maybe missed his spot. Like he was supposed to throw it on the outside corner and it leaked into the inside corner. It's not perfect. Like there's always mistakes over and over again. I'm a huge basketball fan. So, like, in basketball history of my lifetime, the most historic game that I know of where we could talk about perfection is Jordan's flu game, right? It's one of the games that everybody talks about. Michael Jordan gets food poisoning. It's game five of the NBA Finals. He's on the road. The series is tied two to two against the Utah Jazz, and, and they're coming down to this space. It was on June 11th, 1997. I even looked up the date this week. All right? Jordan had 38 points. He had seven rebounds. He had five assists, and his teammates had to like walk him off the court because he was so sick. I've had food poisoning. I think I had it recently, and it is terrible. I cannot imagine playing a basketball game with that going on. I especially cannot imagine playing a basketball game and dominating the way that Jordan did. It's absolutely remarkable. In that game, which is considered a perfect game, Jordan missed 14 shots that night. He turned the ball over three times. He committed three fouls. He missed two free throws. But it's widely remembered as a perfect game. I don't know. I like sports, guys. you have to deal with that. But I think there's something actually really helpful here for us. Nobody ever plays a perfect game, but nobody stops playing either. Everybody keeps chasing perfection. Everybody keeps like, I'm just trying to get a little bit better tonight. I'm just trying to improve just a little bit. We apply that to our athletes and our sports, and we think about, oh, that makes perfect sense there. We don't apply it to our regular life. Like, I'm just trying to grow. This is the idea. I think this is the message for today is to stretch. Spurgeon says this, stretch towards the highest conceivable standard that you can. And say, I, man, I, I know I'm going to make a mistake today. We're getting ready to get in the car. We're going to go to Ohio for the next week, which is a terrible place to go in February. It's just <laughs> a really terrible decision. But I haven't seen my family in a year and a half. And so we're going to go visit my family. They got a cabin in the woods. It's a nine-hour drive. I'm with the dogs. Yeah, my dogs are in the car, and I hate my dogs, right? Here's, in the next nine hours, in the next nine hours, I can promise you there will not be perfection in my car for me. I can promise you, right? I'm going to get irritated with one of those dogs. I'm going to get irritated with one of those kids, It's the youngest. I'm going to get irritated with Sarah because she will correct my driving the whole time. it doesn't mean I stop striving towards loving my family and loving with generosity. I keep striving for the perfection that God has placed before me. And I wanna wake up every morning and I wanna be a better husband than I was the day before. And I want my wife to look back over the history of our marriage and I want her to say, I've seen you grow as a man and as a follower of Jesus. And you're more kind than you used to be. And you're more generous than you used to be. And you're more selfless than you used to be. And I want my children to look at my life with them and I want them to say, you've become a better daddy. You love me more. You give more of yourself. But it's not about perfection. It's about just keep going after it. So though you can't be perfect, you must want to be perfect. And there must not be any sin within you that you knowingly spare or don't place in there. As soon as you know something's wrong, you pray into it. You have a tender consciousness. You recognize that I failed. I haven't hit that perfect standard. There's this line, and I landed over here when I should have landed over here. I should have been way over here, and I should have been so much more generous, and I should have been so much more selfless, and I didn't do it. I landed over here because I was tired, and I was having a rough day, and because we'd been in the car for seven hours with the dogs. And Jesus looks at us, and he says, you, repent. Repentance means agreeing with God about reality and changing your behavior. You, get up, and let's try and love better. Let's try and live into this in an easy way. So the challenge for us today, guys, is just to grow. That's it. There's nothing fancy or amazing or incredible about it. This is a really hard text, and loving your enemies is really hard. And as I'm talking about this, some of you in your mind, you have a specific enemy in mind that guy. And maybe the challenge for you today is to think, all right, here's the line. Here's where I've been landing on that line, and here's where Jesus wants me to be. So how do I change my behavior towards that person? Maybe it's about forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody that has wounded you, been an enemy to you, hurt you, and you've closed it down. And Jesus says, no, I want you to continue to love. I want you to try and forgive. I want you to keep stretching. Maybe it's about generosity. I know I should be more generous with my time. I know I should be more generous with my money. I know I should be more generous with whatever it is. Maybe it's about compassion. I've been walking through life, and I just don't even feel empathy for people right now. Maybe you've been canceling people. Maybe you've been a lunatic on social media. Like I I don't know. Here's what I want to do, though. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us in kind of a, a song to kind of commission our time together and kind of pray it out. Communion is available all around the room at the tables, and we take communion at the end of every service here because we just want to remember Jesus, and we want to just take this moment to remember the blood that was shed for us and the body that was broken for us, and we want to say in the same way that you came to earth and loved and served, we want to be like you, and we want to do the same. And so we are the commissioned people that are sent every single week with the body and the blood of Jesus in us to go and to love the world in a way that is revolutionary. And I may be optimistic. I may be naive. We'll figure it out in 20 years. But so far in my life, the way of Jesus is the only way that's worked for me. And I actually think that love and generosity and kindness and mercy and grace and compassion actually can break down walls between enemies. I actually believe that there is a table placed before me in the presence of my enemies where Jesus and my enemies will meet and good things can happen. And so I want you to just take a minute and just say, all right, Jesus, like, what does this mean for me today? Where are you stirring my heart? Who am I supposed to love? Who am I supposed to serve? Who am I supposed to forgive? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? And I believe that the Holy Spirit is active and moving in this place. So if a name comes to your mind, that's the Holy Spirit that's working. If a situation comes to your heart, that's the Holy Spirit working. If a number comes to you, I want you to give away this. That's the Holy Spirit working being the people of Jesus means we just pay attention to that stuff. And we say, listen, I don't know how all of this gets worked out every situation. There's this beauty in the church being a family where we get to work it out together. And if you're struggling with, I got an enemy and I don't know what to do with it, then let's talk about it. We're gonna have our prayer team come up to the front here and they're gonna sit and and be, able, be available to pray and give words. And maybe there's something that you've got to work out in your head about how you love a certain enemy or, or how you give generously or how you work these out. This is what the people of God get to do together. This is why Jesus didn't give us all the instructions and all the answers for every scenario. He just said,